Beginning in the 38th verse, we read, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is indeed, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for all that we have experienced, and Father, there's even greater as we make ourselves available to you as surrendered offerings before you. And God, we ask today that you would just speak to our heart from your word as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving uh, as I did. And uh, <clears throat> pray for those who are traveling uh, across the highways. There's storms all around the country as people are making their way back home. So pray for safety, and I'm grateful. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of just spending time with family, and I thank uh, the Lord for the privilege that we have here in this country. The Bible says, as we have read, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which is not going to be taken away, not going to be taken away. Now, many of you may be like me. I am not a college basketball fan. I do not follow the NCAA's uh, college games until they get to uh, the tournament, uh, March Madness, and so forth. But even if you aren't a, an aficionado of college basketball, many of you are aware, even second-handedly or just by watching the news, uh, how in 1993, April 1993, the 5th of April, uh, the Michigan Wolverines, Fab Five, were, was playing the University of North Carolina, Michael Jordan's old team. And uh, the game was uh, very tightly contested, and really the best team in the country at that time was the Fab Five with, with, with uh, and you, you can do your own research when you get a chance. Um, yeah, that's the one name we know. Uh, now, the outcome of the game was not determined by a play on the court from a ball that was shot or uh, a foul that was caused, but it was determined by a decision that forever altered the trajectory of this particular play and the course of that game and the annuals of history. Because when we look back at that championship game, we all remember it, those of you who are going to be able to re uh, reflect on this story that I'm sharing, what happened. The plan was, was for the Wolverines who were trailing 73 to 71 to rebound the ball after playing defense against NC State 
NC, uh, North Carolina University. Chris Weber rebounded the ball, timeout call, strategy given, 11 seconds left in the game. And the plan, after coach spoke with the players, uh, we were going to win the game. We are going to go for a three-point shot. And if we miss the three-point shot, crash the boards for an offensive rebound, take the two for the tie. So <clears throat> time's called back in. The ball is passed in to the best player on the Wolverines team, none other than Chris Weber, who has hands twice the size as mine. And the ball, basketball, looks like a grapefruit in his hand. So he has it in his able hands and the perfect person that you want to have. But now he's trapped by two of the North uh, uh, NC State, NC North Carolina University players. He's trapped by two of the players. And so he's panicked. Uh, the, 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 the sound of the crowd is deafening and, and, uh, and time is running down. There's 11 seconds, now they're down to seven seconds. And then Chris Weber makes this infinite, uh, uh, this, this decision uh, that turned the course of history. He called a timeout. The only problem with his decision about calling a timeout is that they didn't have one left. And because he called a timeout when they didn't have any left, all teams at the beginning of the game, you give the same amount of timeouts. And it's rare that a player will call a timeout, but players can call it. But mainly, it's the coach that calls a timeout because the timeouts are so precious. It's during that time that you strategize about the play, that you gather the team's uh, their, their thinking, if the defense is what it should be, and so forth. So he called a timeout when they didn't have a timeout. And so the result was, the team, the Wolverines, got a technical foul, which meant that uh, North Carolina University player was able to go to the foul line. He gets three, two free throws. So he was able to shoot the two free throws, and then they got possession of the ball. So the game ended that way. And so instead of the score being 72, 73 to 71, the game ends up being 76 to 71 because of that infamous bad choice to take a timeout when he didn't have a timeout. One of the things that has happened to me during this week is that I've been at the bedside of a 37-year-old, a 38-year-old, a 47-year-old, and just so many people who are leaving this world. And many of them uh, are not people that have lived recklessly, who have not taken care of themselves. These are people who have been very health conscious. These are people that have uh, participated in various types of programs to keep themselves in top physical shape, but here they are on their deathbed. And as I thought about that, this whole thing about timeout, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 9, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because the time, the night is coming, the time is coming when no man can work. There's going to come a time when you can't call a timeout. There's going to come a time when you're going to run out, and I'm going to run out of timeouts. And timeouts in our lives are those times when we take, we come aside and we, we look ahead at a new decade, and we look back at our lives and see that none of us are getting younger. The Bible says that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed. So we don't look, we don't focus primarily on the things that are the outward part of us, but the inward part, because those things that are outside of us, 
that we give all of our time to, that we give all of our thoughts to, that we spend all of our money on, that we, that we worry about. Those things, the Bible says, are passing away. And by the time, someone said, by the time we figure it out, by the time we, 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 our mind is working right, and by the time our face clears up, our mind doesn't work right. And, and, and um, th- 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 well, that, that, there's some humor in that. The, the issue for many of us, unfortunately, is that we think we have more time than we really do. And so we pick and choose when we come to church. We pick and choose who we serve with. We pick and choose how we serve. We pick and choose. And the time is running out. The time I must work the work of him. I need to take time out to figure out what is the work that he's given me that I must do because the night is coming. I tell you, there's nothing sadder than being at the bedside of somebody who's departing this earth and their greatest memory is their regret. It's really true that what we do for Christ is going to last. It is really true that nothing gives greater satisfaction and fulfillment than what we do for Jesus Christ. It is really true that he must increase and I must decrease. I just believe if Christians would really apply that truth that we intellectually have assented to, that things would be different in the White House. Oh, how you know? Because God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal your land. We have more than we've ever had before, but we're not happier. Every day, somewhere around the world, someone's being murdered. Someone's fearful of terrorism. We're not better. The Bible says we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt. We're the light. I just believe that when believers are in their right place, the world will be not a perfect place because perfection doesn't come until Jesus returns. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. And so we want to talk about, tell somebody, time out. Time out. We're counting down to 2020. And I want to give you four areas in your life and in my life. I had the pleasure of sitting down with my son, Brandon, and we mapped out things that we're going to work on together. And I love the fact that he approached me about that. And I, I would pray, uh, I know that there are people in this audience that are doing things with, peop- with, with uh, uh, folks that are not even a part of this church that are benefiting from making the time that the Lord has given you count. This is about legacy now. This is about leaving behind fruit that remains. Somebody say amen. amen. Time out. Talk about time out in your, for, for, time out for worship. Time out for wellness. I'm talking about real wellness. People just work into the place where we just, we're zombies. 
you know, we're making the donuts. So time out for worship, time out for wellness, time out for wonderment. We'll talk about what that is. And, and the final thing is time out for wokeness. Wokeness. Yeah, that's a, that's a Generation Z and millennial term that we, we need to be aware of. So worship, wellness, wonderment, wokeness. Time out. That's actually a word, believe it or not. If you don't know that it's a word, you ain't woke. <laughs> Amen. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we just read an account where Jesus is invited into the home of a, two sisters. One's name is Martha, the other is Mary. Uh, they're the same, Martha and Mary, who are the siblings of the friend of Jesus, who is Lazarus. And we learn about Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus is the one who dies and is dead for four days, and Jesus comes four days late and still is on time. But in this example before us, in Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha invites Jesus and his entourage into her home. There might be as many, there's at least the 12 disciples in Jesus and others who were following Christ, so there could have been as many as 35 or more people that are part of that group. And both women undoubtedly love Jesus. Uh, that's a part of the biblical record. They clearly love Jesus, and they wanted to please him, but they had different priorities. They had different priorities. We need to make sure that our priorities are the Lord's priorities. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and what? His righteousness, and then all of these things shall be added unto you. All those things is food, clothing, and shelter. The context tells us that. Everything else is extra. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, I just rained on your parade. And so Martha is busy working in the kitchen making preparations for Jesus. I'm sure she was a good cook. That's why she was in the kitchen. And it probably, I, I can't imagine uh, the food wasn't smelling good and, and it was going to be great. But at some point, she became overwhelmed. How many of you know when your priorities aren't right, it's just a matter of time before you're going to get in your flesh <laughs> in the name of Jesus? While Martha is working in the kitchen, Jesus is in another place with Mary. And the Bible says that Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to his words. So when Martha sees Mary sitting down, doing nothing that really mattered in her mind, she came to Jesus and forgot who was Lord. And she said, Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister very colloquially in the Bible says, tell Mary to help me. I, I, I can't imagine that sister said it that kindly. But uh, she was telling Jesus what to do. I'm about to pass out here doing everything. And then Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. 
You're troubled. Your worry has brought you to the place of trouble. You are in my presence. I'm here to, 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 to be available for you, but your focus is on working for me, but you haven't taken the time to worship me. I, I declare as we move into 2020, the Lord wants us to understand that we are not qualified to work for him until we worshiped him. Worship has to be your priority. Oh, it has to be our priority with all the things that are calling out and demanding our time. It is so hard, but there's never an excuse to make worship anything less than the priority. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the best thing. And the best thing that it will never be taken, your food will be taken from you. Thanksgiving's already gone. Some of us are used to, my house, the dog didn't get the, the only thing the dog got was the bones. There was no such thing as meat. We cleaned the turkey down to the, down to the bone. You couldn't even get any DNA off of the turkey <laughs> by the time the nine of us got finished with it. Worship must be our priority. It has to be the first thing that you decide going into 2020, nothing will be more important to me than worship. So what do we mean by worship? Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24, says that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just having a body in the building, not just having a Bible open or being on your knees saying repetitive prayers or whatever your routine is and being religious. He says, they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. It must be authentic and genuine. It must be based on truth. Our revelation, uh, uh, worship is a response to revelation. Worship me in spirit and truth. When you get the truth, it should produce worship. Nobody should ever have to tell you to raise your hand. Or, However, everybody expresses their, 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 their worship differently. Some will raise their hand. That's praise. And by the way, there's a difference between worship and praise, but that's not the point of the sermon today. But when you hear the revelation and the Spirit of God in you, the Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and the daughter of God. And it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with us. So when you hear the revelation from the Word of God, your spirit's going to say yes and amen. Worship, the word literally means, oh, English literally means to show worthy ship, to demonstrate by your actions the value and the weight of a person or a thing. When you wanted to determine the value of gold, you weighed it. The heavier the weight, the more value the gold, the more money. <laughs> With the gold, we get it? Weighty, the more weighty, the weight of God's glory. And so the way we worship, the way we show God worthy ship, the way we demonstrate his value by our worship is an evidence of how much we value God. The absence of worship is a, is, is, is a measure of how much we think of God. Does that make sense? So my worship is saying, God, when I weigh you, 
I'm not talking about what you've done or what you, what you will do or what you're current. When we talk about worship, we're just honoring God for who he is. If, if God never did anything, he would still be God. That was the argument against Job. Does Job love you for nothing? Would we still love God if we experienced what Job experienced? And so we... When I worship, I am saying, I'm weighing God. And somebody want two cents. Somebody want $5 worth of God. But the Jesus said the greatest two commandments, when I combine and summarize all of the commandments that God has given, the Levitical and, and the Decalogue, when you combine them all, the greatest two, the first is love God with all. How much? All. The weight of his glory should demand that we worship him. Oh, we're going to talk about this, but we're not going to get into detail. But it's something about when you belong to the Lord and, and you consider who he is, you want to be where he is. I, I guess the simplest way of thinking about worship is being in the presence of God. That's what it is. It's making Every effort to be in your, on your face before God. Being in the presence of the Lord. David said, if I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the, nowhere I go, I'm in your presence. But there's a special sense that the presence of God comes in the focus. You know how you can zoom a camera in. When you make a decision, Jesus, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you let me in, then we can, we can worship the Lord. When you worship, here's what you ought to do in 2020 going forward. You need to pause in silence in the presence of the king. The Bible says in the day, in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. And the first thing it says in the, in the first five verses, all he could tell you, describe was what he saw. He couldn't say anything until he saw you have to see God before you can speak. You have to see God before you can serve. Sometimes you just need to, when it comes to worship, just get somewhere and be silent before the Lord. Just be silent. Here's how I'm, I'm able to minister to people that, are, that, that aren't even, they don't even know they're in the world. Because I've learned the art of silence. Just holding somebody's hand and, 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 and listening to the Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit himself making intercession for us. With God. There's, a, there's a communication that will go on when you learn how to pause away from your harried life. I used to feel bad when people didn't come to church. Now I feel bad for people who don't come to church. I feel bad for you. Because you're missing out. When you, so, so, so worship is showing God's value, his worthiness. It's really about him. When people make it about them, they ain't worshiping. <laughs> nope. You'll know. You know. You'll know the difference. Worship should include praise. Prayer, I should say, prayer. And you ought to pray specifically after you've paused in the presence of God. Pray for direction. Lord, be a lamp unto my feet. 
a light unto my path. Pray, pray confession. When's the last time you got a clean slate with God about stuff that you, you, you areas where you're falling in your current life? Some of us can become callous of sin. I heard uh, Deacon uh, Elder in training, uh, Miller, uh, Deacon Dennis say, uh, the moment you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. The day of salvation, you can hear the voice of God today, but if you keep ignoring it, your heart can become insensitive to sin, and it doesn't bother you anymore. But it's like a slow leak in your tire. You're still driving, but when you least expect it, you're driving on the rim, and now not only are you in danger, but everybody inside the vehicle with you because you're driving on the highway with a flat tire. Let me hurry on. I got a lot here. Pray for your petitions. Pray prayers of intercession. Who are you praying for? Do you have a list of people that you're going before the Lord on behalf? How many of you know that the fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous have great benefit with God? The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it as rivers of water wherever he wills. And so if God has the heart of the king in his hand and he's listening to me when I pray, I ought to be praying that God will do some turning in Washington. Pray for submission. In the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples, he said, thy will be done. I'm learning. The worst thing in the world is not getting what we want or what I want for others. The worst thing in the world is missing the will of God for your life. The best thing you can do is to submit. And whatever that means for you, that is where the Lord will meet you. And going back to that, the power of the Lord will be there to heal through you as you are submitting to his will for you and your life. Somebody say amen. Your, your worship time out to include praise. Praise God for who he is. That's worship. Praise God for who he is. The problem is if I ask, go around the church and say, tell me who God is. After we get by God is love, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is everywhere at the same time. Who is God? I want to suggest to you, and that's where God is leading me vision-wise, we have to be, a, we got we to gotta know these things. We got to be, we are a sound doctrinal church, we say. But how much do we know about God? I want you to understand, when you see the Mona Lisa, <laughs> when you see him, somebody say amen. There's another side of this public worship where you come together in places like this, because the scriptures where two or three are gathered together in my name. Just to be in the presence of other saints, that's, that we can express our worship publicly. The other piece that was there in that, that Luke 10 passage says, she sat at his feet and listened to his word. The word of God is a part of our worship. As you hear from him, as you open up the Bible, God will speak to you. I want to worship. Well, it should be prior to the Bible, clearly commanded. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand, something happens when you make worship a priority. 
When Moses was in the presence of the Lord, his face shined like the sun. And whenever he would come down off the mountain and having heard the word of the Lord, he literally had to cover his face because it shined. When doubting Thomas saw the presence of the resurrected Jesus, that, that joker who said, I ain't believing nothing. And I ain't seen no nails in his hands and wound in his side. I'm sorry. I see you, but I hate to. And then Jesus walked in but never opened the door. <laughs> when he saw Jesus, the Bible said he fell on his face in the presence of God in, the, in flesh. And he said, my God and my, my Lord and my God. He worshiped. Paul was determined to destroy every Christian that breathed, making his way down the Damascus Road, and the Lord knocked him off his horse. And he said, who? who? And Jesus said, why are, you, why are you persecuting my church? And, and Paul said, who are you? <laughs> you must be a bad, you knocked me off of my horse, and he was, and he was blinded. He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And after he had that encounter with the Lord, for the rest of Paul's days, he said that I have been chasing after him. I want to be, I want to apprehend him as he has already apprehended me, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. I'm chasing, that's what that song comes. I'm chasing after him. I'm chasing after him. I'm chasing, because there's nobody greater. Nobody. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Something happens when you worship the Lord in spirit and truth. That's why the devil don't want you doing it. Time out for wellness. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, the Bible says, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of the court of officials, to bring into the king's service, into the king's court, some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king in the palace. He was told, the head eunuch was told, when I get my staff together, I ain't looking for junk. And what was important to the king was physical wellness. He said, I don't want anybody with a defect. I don't want anybody, I want that most handsome, the most intelligent. And so, how does that translate? Every year when I sign up for my insurance, they give me, <laughs> I'm hoping they let me sign up. Oh man, they talk about your pre-existing conditions. You all better be praying that these folk in Washington don't get their way because there will be a whole lot of people going broke. A whole lot of people dying before they have to. But, but my, my insurance will allow me to take a test, a wellness test. 
And then they will evaluate, you are most likely to die in 10 years. You're most likely to catch this disease. And they, now, they can't deny you your insurance. And then they give you a $25 cut on your, your monthly current. But they don't want to insure risk. And so when we talk about time out for wellness, what I'm saying is that in our, in our workplace, it shouldn't happen. You're getting interviewed, and they're looking at your age. They're looking at how you take care of yourself. And they, they, they even look at your credit and things. And you don't even know. More than that, they're looking at your Facebook page and your, and your Twitter account. And you can have all the credentials in the world, and you don't get the job because they saw you. So the body is important in, 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 in the secular world, but it ought to be important to you because it's important to God. The Bible says that you are the temple of God. Your body is a temple where God lives. He says, and the spirit of God dwells in you. He said, but if any man defiles the temple, that temple will God destroy. So we need to be taking a time out for wellness. A time out for wellness. That includes our diet. That includes what you, you're working out. Uh, I can't eat chitlins. I, I love ham. <laughs> Some people said, I never did. <laughs> we ate what we had to eat. Amen. I survived it. I, I lived to tell about it. But so we're talking about how you sleep. They just did a study on the value of sleep and what happens to your brain when you deprive your body of sleep. You lose brain cells. And they still don't know what Alzheimer's and dementia comes from. And I'm not saying that everybody that has it, and but all those things contribute to your, to, to your, to your effectiveness. And so body, your body say, my body counts. And so we're talking about time out for physical wellness. We're also talking about mental wellness. Feed your mind by growing through learning. You know, age is really a number. You only get old when you stop learning. And I tell you, nothing agitates me more than people who don't know that they don't know but think they do. <laughs> That'll make a brother cuss. But I ain't. I'm not going to do it. If you're not teachable, you can't grow. You cannot and you will not grow. And here's an evidence of a, a, a lack of teachable spirit. You can't be wrong. You got a reason for everything you ever did. You got a screw in your head. You're the king with no clothes. Everybody knows you're butt naked. But nobody can tell you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says while he's in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says, bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. He's in prison, but he's saying, I want to feed my mind. Bring the scriptures. Bring my books. What are you reading? Men, what are we reading? Women, read. Brothers, what are we reading? Women want to learn how to be better wives. What are we reading about marriage, brothers? I'm talking to myself, too. <laughs> Amen. That's a <laughs> Amen. I brought me a book from the uh, Frequency Concert. I got me a book. I'm reading it, too. <laughs> Amen. 
I had purchased a book from the Mighty Men of Valor called Side Chicks. Guess what? That's the first book my wife found. What do you mean by side chick? <laughs> I'm not trying to have no side chick. I'm trying to understand why people have side chicks. <laughs> now, I brought the book by, uh, uh, what's his name, H.B. Bernard, A.R. Bernard, on the four things that wives want their husbands to know. She hasn't even commented on that. I put it right in the most obvious place. Had to say the word. But you need to be feeding your mind intentionally. Wellness emotionally. You need to fellowship with godly people as much as possible. Paul's in prison in verses 2 uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He says, uh, do your best to come to me quickly. He's asking for Luke. He's asking for uh, his, his ministry team. He's in prison. He, this is when he said, I've, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I've, been, I've fought the good fight. He, he knows he's going to die. The, death, the, the, the penalty has been determined. The date of his death is, is, is in the forecast. And so what does Paul want? He said, I want to be around my friends, godly friends. You don't need to be around a bunch of negative, gossiping talking about folk people. You need to be around people that are talking about ideas and the kingdom of God and what new thing, is, what mountain that God want to give you and how are you going to obey God in some area in your life where you need to trust him. You need godly friends. There's some very un unhealthy emotional Christians. You need to hear what you say. The power of life and death is in your mouth. Wellness emotionally, mentally, and financially. Did you know that credit card debt went up by $100 million last year? I think it's, it's the statistic. Eight out of ten Americans are in debt, and most Americans don't have any retirement and we live from week to week, from paycheck to paycheck. And we're trying to figure out a way we don't have to pay it back. As you look to 2020, how are you going to work on wellness financially? Wherever your treasure is, one of the greatest indications of your spiritual growth and maturity is how you handle money. I'll tell you how, how much you love Jesus. Show me your checkbook. Oh, don't get quiet on me. <laughs> Elder Ward, thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Here, let me, let me just run on because I've got a lot. Uh, <clears throat> the first thing that we want to think about is get out of debt. The Bible says that debt is a form of slavery. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. And so if you're in debt, and that's the worst thing that has happened to college students, they can't buy houses, they can't get good credit for cars, because they're in so much debt to student loans. Get out of debt. Stop spending your money on stuff for your belly and for, your, for, your, for looking good. Give God his first. The first fruit belongs to God. You will never get ahead until you're giving God the tithe. 
He says, you gather it and you store it and I blow on it and it blows away. You hide it in pockets and bank accounts and you, you, you got all kinds of special uh, uh, lock boxes and so forth. And he says, what I do, I cut holes in your pockets. When you don't manage your finances, it robs you of your rest. Now you got to work 10, 15 extra hours. You're working 80 hours a week. Because if you don't, you can't pay your bills. It robs you of being generous. You can't bless anybody you want to, but you don't have it because it's owed. The Lord is calling me to missions, and I want to go to Kenya. Really? The devil says, you, the, you are a liar. You're supposed to be telling the devil he's a liar. He said, you are a liar because he's got you in debt. You don't have the financial resources to go nowhere. I don't know how many senior citizens that I visit, and they worked all their lives. They got brand new cars parked in front of their houses. They can't even put gas in the car to drive. You go down to the food banks, you think it's going to be the people down at the breakfast. No, these are people who worked every day for 50, 30, and 40 years. They're the ones who need food. They're people who work every day. They're the working poor. They leave work, and they sleep in their cars all night. That's their house. Give God his first. Make a plan. To make a plan, Luke chapter uh, 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 14 says, what man goes out to war before you plan how you're going to win? Some of us, I grew up, nobody taught me how to do finance. I, say, I knew how to save because that was one thing my mother did. She opened up an account for me, but I would always get my money and give it to my wife. I never even thought about it. That wasn't leadership. I was just... You know, I meant well, and she was happy. Amen. And I'm not, I kind of grow up from that now, and we work together very closely and so forth. Hey, pray, man, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> but if you don't know how to make a financial plan, be wise enough to ask somebody to help you. We have people in this church that would be glad to help you. Leave an inheritance. For your children, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, I heard Kenny say amen. Uh, a good person <laughs> leaves an inheritance for their children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. <laughs> now, there are different types of inheritance. They're material inheritance and they're spiritual. <laughs> but fathers and mothers... You ought to leave a legacy of what it means to work hard, what it means to be honest, what it means to love your own wife, to love your own husband, to love your own children, to serve God. That's the kind of inheritance. And also to teach financial discipline. And if you can, leave some money. Amen. Or some other resource. Say hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Grow professionally to become a better earner when you get a chance because uh, this is far much too much. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. The hands of the diligent will rule, but a lazy man will be put into forced labor. What happens is if you just satisfied with what you have, you're not working to get a better education, you're not working to improve on your job, you're not looking for opportunities to advance, 
the Bible says you will be forced into undesirable labor. Because now you're working for somebody. You're not really working to fulfill God's will for your life. You should be trying to advance intentionally. Not because you don't, you know, the people getting on your nerves, but because you should become a better earner because you can. Are you still with me? Now, just like something happens when you worship, something will happen when you take time out for for wellness, self for wellness. Paul says, I have learned that whatever state I'm in, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to be hungry. I know how to be filled. He said, I have learned through wellness. I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. And let me tell you the secret. Now, you need to write this down. Here's the secret. And I'm going to charge you for it. He said, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret of wellness. Contentment through Jesus, financially, emotionally, in my relationships, taking care of my physical body. Because there's so much more, I think I'm going to not go any further. Part two. Part two. Somebody say amen. Amen. Time out. Somebody say time out. Time out. Something happens when you come aside and you allow the Lord to begin to pour into you about your future. And you begin to be in purposeful in your decisions. Your, your decisions should, your, your vision should determine your decisions. What has God gifted you to do? What is the call on your life? What legacy? What will they say about you? Really, I don't care. But what difference will your life have made? Will anybody know that you're not here? Will you even matter? Somebody say, time out. Amen. You stand. Amen. 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 I'm going to start it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Time out. I tell you, when you get singleness of mind, it'll make you love your your wife more, your husband more. It'll make you appreciate your family more. We need to get focused. As we stand before the Lord with every head bowed. We're going to take a time out to give you a chance to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Can you hear him? Oh, that's why I love God. He's personal. The unfortunate thing is, most often God does not yell. The world yells, and it gets our attention. But the Lord speaks to us in a quiet and still voice. 
I want you to know you'll learn how to hear the voice of God as you worship by pausing in silence. And as our heads are bowed and we're going before the Lord, is he calling you to say yes to, the, to Christ, the Christ who loved you so much that he left the glory of heaven to come to a sin-cursed earth so that he would become your sin-bearer. The Lord is carrying your sins. But the good news is that what he did when he went on the cross and died, the price for your sins has been paid in full. So if you're here today and you want to accept what Christ has already done, 